listening to the Art of Fulfillment podcast. We interview the world's most fulfilled people to share with you the strategies, techniques, and ideas that can help you master your own art of fulfillment. Life isn't about external success. It's all about fulfillment. Or in other words, how you feel about yourself when you are by yourself. All right, guys, today's guest is a mindfulness expert and international speakers on the topics of presence and well-being who is on a mission to help others create the most fulfilling lives for themselves. He has taught mindfulness-based meditation and leadership at Columbia University, is currently an instructor of positive psychology at UPenn, and frequently appears on the Dr. Oz show, all in order to make mindfulness and meditation accessible to the modern world. But he didn't just learn about mindfulness and meditation by reading books. He is actually utilizing his experience living as a mind in Burma, where he meditated for 14 to 20 hours each day in his effort to mastering happiness without dependence on any external force. And now he is helping others to try and achieve that same goal as his meditations have been heard by more than 10 million times over 50 countries. So please help me in welcoming the author of the new book, Stop Missing Your Life, How to Be Deeply Present in an Unpresent World, Corey Mascara. Welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks, Joe. What a wonderful intro. And I do, I love what you said about uh, um, fulfillment, how we feel about ourselves when we're by ourselves. Is that what you said? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great description. Very catchy. Oh, oh yeah. And I, and I can't take the full credit for that. Uh, Tom Bilyeu, who is the founder of Quest oh. Nutrition, came up for that. But yeah, when I first heard it, like you said, I had the same reaction. I was like, that's cool. And, and that's great. And, and I think it relates to your story, too on how you were trying to find this, this mission to, and I love, I heard your podcast with Dan Harris that you did a while, a while back where you said you were looking to find happiness without an external force. And I think that that fits into that definition so well. So can you, can you kind of just talk about that whole process and, and kind of how you got started onto that path and how you, you know, use meditation and mindfulness as kind of the vehicle to help get you there? Hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I remember very vividly that, that first initial longing for what would it, wanting to understand what would it mean to cultivate a happiness that was not contingent upon external variables. There was something very compelling to me about that. I had gotten into meditation because I was trying to impress a girl. There was no noble reason for it. She broke up with me shortly after. Oh no! And that's uh, that's about when I started taking it more seriously to really like find a little bit of relief and um, and quickly did. And uh, a whole series of events unfolded from there. In addition to the positive benefits I was getting from the meditation practice, I was simultaneously getting uh, somewhat disillusioned by the uh, track I was taking in college to go into the finance world. I was an economics major and uh, had this experience where I met with this hedge fund manager at the New York Stock Exchange and he just gave this talk and it, it I describe it as like feeling like my soul was sucked out of my body. <laughs> I was just bored, uninspired and I felt lifeless. And um, and you know, I had enough insight to know like not all people in the finance world are like this, and this guy could have just been having a bad day. But there was this recognition of like that is not what I want. However, wh whatever this guy's embodying in that moment, I don't want to end up like that. Mm. And um, and y there was also enough 
insight to realize that I nobody wants to, and it's not like anyone sets out to become like that. Everyone kind of makes decisions, uh, often in pursuit of greater fulfillment, happiness, and well-being, thinking that you know, if I get in this relationship, if I take this job, if I make this decision, in some way it will lead to greater fulfillment, even if that sometimes means taking on more pain. I think parents can resonate with that of like, I'll sacrifice my own well-being for my kids, but there's still a sense that that would lead to more fulfillment in my life. So all of us are trying to make decisions in, in that pursuit. and and uh, and and yet it often leads to a lot of unfulfillment for people and that just scared me i said who am i to uh, to not get caught in the same trap and if what i'm really interested in is well-being let me first just understand what that means and and when i actually started looking at that for myself i, I realized most of my well-being was coming from external variables uh mm. the and it was most illuminated for me after that breakup because it was just, it felt like my world had just been ripped out from beneath me, this stupid little thing, but a breakup can be really painful. And, um, and it was just so clear, like how much of my happiness was contingent upon this person. And I said, am I just going to go my whole life like this? Where like when the variables line in the way that I want them to, that I'm happy when they don't, that I'm sad. And then they come back together again and I'm happy. <laughs> And I was like, screw that. That's, I, there's got to be something more. So it started, this pursuit really started with, um, I don't want to say uh, a, a juvenile perspective, but a, let's say a one-dimensional idea of like, I want to understand happiness independent of external variables. And, and, and the idea to get that was let me sever myself from everything that's currently bringing me happiness and find some sort of fulfillment from within. And that's what took me over to, to Southeast Asia where I uh, lived as a monk for about six and a half months and sort of just set it up to, in, in, the, in the best way that I could to cut myself off from the things that were creating my sense of quarry and identity in the world. And, um, and then just <laughs> build it from the inside out. So it was total silence for those six months other than talking to my teacher a couple every few days for a few minutes. Um, two very small meals at 5.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. So we're fasting most of the day. So kind of take out oh some of the gosh. food comforts. Um, sleeping only about five and a half, five hours a night. Because um, we wake up at three and we go to bed at 9.30. <laughs> so oh 9.30 p.m. So it's just, you're not getting a lot of sleep. Mattresses were very thin. Um, and you're just meditating 14 hours a day. And in some ways that's a vacation because you're right, you're not dealing with the same stress as you would. And in other ways, it's the furthest thing from a vacation <laughs> because <laughs> it's very intense and austere and uh, all of your attention is getting turned toward yourself, which uh, can be the hardest work in the world, especially when you've spent a good amount of time maybe running from yourself and your mind and your thoughts and your emotions and your pains. Mm -hmm. So the, the logic was if I could cut myself off from these things and I could cultivate some quality of well-being independent of all of it, then I could go back into my life and everything else would sort of be gravy, right? The mm -hmm. relationship, the kids, the car, the house, the money, still wanted it all, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't need it. My happiness wouldn't be so dependent on it. And, um, 
that was the the path. And it was very interesting because by the end of that retreat, I I was able to spend the last two the last two months of that retreat, I I was meditating about close to 20 hours a day, 18 to 20 hours a day, wow. sleeping only about two and a half hours a night. Oh uh, when you're meditating that intensively, it can start to replace sleep. So, um, so I was sleeping two and a half hours a night, meditating almost 20 hours a day, just coming out of my room for two very small meals. So I spend most of the day in the dark by myself in my boxers meditating. <laughs> and, um, and so like, there's no real science to support that that should lead to happiness. And yet that was the most fulfilled I had ever felt. And it was, it was, it was just a sense of like, whoa, I did it. Like I, I cultivated this peace, this well-being, this fulfillment that's mm-hmm. not contingent upon my external world. I, I could sit through deep amounts of physical pain and all these different distractions and whatever. Like anything that came up, I could just meet it with equanimity. It was beautiful. And then, <laughs> and there's always an and then. Of and then I got home and I remember having, uh, I remember having dinner with my family. So I was 23 when I got back. Uh, I got I remember having dinner with my family and I was sitting at the same chair that I sat at during my entire childhood, right? So the dinner table, my dad sat in one seat, my mom sat in another seat, my sister in one seat, my brothers and me in one seat. And so this chair just has like a, a ton of childhood memories and conditionings associated with it. And um, I remember sitting there and, and my dad made a comment in a very innocent way along the lines of like, all right, well, you know, now that you're home, it's time you figure out how you're going to start making some money because I had like $60,000 worth of college debt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my, my mind like, ter- interpreted it from this very like child, teenage-like place, which I heard it as like, all right, well, you're not Monkland anymore, buddy. Time to work like the rest of us. <laughs> and I just felt all this confidence and peace that I had was just like vacuum sucked out of my body oh, and like start ruminating about how much I hate living at home. I want to get out of here and like a few days. And um, it was just, it was a really profound recognition that it's, it's one thing to cultivate that quality of peace when there are no distractions, when there are no mm-hmm. triggers, especially no family triggers, uh, and you're in a secluded forest monastery in Burma, then it's another thing to cultivate that quality of fulfillment uh, in the real world. So my, my latest perspective around um, cultivating fulfillment that's not contingent upon external variables is uh, I'm a little disillusioned by the notion that that's possible in the most absolute sense. Mm. It is for sure possible to move the needle in the direction of cultivating fulfillment that uh, is less contingent upon external variables and relying on other people for our well-being, relying on material things for our well-being. That's absolutely possible. But we're we're social creatures and we depend on being part of the tribe and being recognized by others and being seen by others and connecting with others uh for our well-being and we we also depend on certain baseline material needs even if our basic needs are met there's we still live in a culture that values these things to an extent and almost requires us to value them to an extent mm-hmm. and so to try to completely separate us, uh, the individual, the human from the larger ecosystem and, and say like, I'm just going to cultivate a fulfillment that can, can depend on everything else remaining consistent. Um, 
or, or changing. And then I just have this thing internally. It's, it's a bit bold and it's mm-hmm. also not quite what I'm interested in anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there are a lot of things that I want my mind to respond to climate change, um, oppression, mm-hmm. a lot of wrongs that I see around me. And while it is possible to cultivate a, a, a balance and an equanimity with all of that, I, I don't want to put words in the Buddhist mouth by saying that they're suggesting that we should just be at peace with all of that and not make any change. Nobody's actually suggesting that. There's a way to meet that with a quality of presence and still be intentional. Um, but I... I I want to feel like uh, I'm working toward the collective well-being of um, of all of mm-hmm. the the environment, the world I inhabit, the people around me. And yes, I want a fulfillment that's grounded, that that is not moving up and down like a roller coaster ride, just as the external world changes. Um, but I do recognize that as long as I'm going to be a human being, so much of what is going to bring me joy, if I'm not in a monastery. Um, is going to be the world that I inhabit. So mm. this will land differently for different people because I know it's a really um, it's a really sexy thing to say I, I want that fulfillment that's not contingent upon external variables. And I do think that's a very important pursuit to work toward. And I think we could also get ourselves in trouble when we don't acknowledge the reality that, you know, it's it's just going to hurt if somebody rejects us and that doesn't mean we're not enlightened or fulfilled it's just a a part of being in a human body with a human brain that can experience pain that longs for connection and we can hold that in the broader awareness of of our humanness and welcome it into our experience so that it leads to a a sense of integration and wholeness uh, rather than trying to compartmentalize it or transcend it or detach from it mm-hmm. so that we have like some some fulfillment some mystical fulfillment that like would be able to meet that moment of someone saying like i hate you and we just like oh cool well that's an interesting thought right yes. <laughs> and we could get maybe closer to that but i think you know what i'm pointing to so happy to go i've rambled for a long time but hopefully some of that makes some sense no that makes absolute sense and and yes i mean to like i resonate that with that deeply and and you're so right like it is such a sexy thought and that's like why i like said like oh man like i was sitting here like i'll be honest like waiting for some kind of answer but then as you were explaining you said well it doesn't really work like that because we want to connect with people and i started as you were saying that i started to think about some of the most fulfilling moments in my life and i noticed that the commonality was that I was with people, like people I love, people I care about. I was connecting deeply with people. And it's like, yeah, you're right, man. Like, although I want to be fulfilled without external forces, like there is that natural instinct in us to connect, to be a part of the tribe, to, to empathize with people. And I think that's such an important part. And I love that you pointed that out and saying that it's not so black and white saying it's either you are fulfilled like from no external forces or all external forces. It's like a combination of the two, which I think is so cool. And I kind of want to like segue this into where your book is because I think it can relate in some way because it's in your title how it says, are you calling this like an unpresent world? Hmm. So does that make us less fulfilled in our, in our everyday life? Like why is, why, 
why is the world making us unpresent? I want to say, and like mm. taking us away from that fulfillment. Like, is it taking us away from that connection that you mentioned? Is it taking us away from being able to be uh, in a place of equanimity? Like, what what's kind of the the barriers that are holding us back from reaching that sense of fulfillment? Like you said, even if it's a, the mixture of the external forces and not the external forces, if that makes sense. Right. Right. Yeah. So just as a reminder for the listeners, that the the subtitle. Um, that we're referring to is is the book is titled Stop Missing Your Life, but the subtitle is How to Be Deeply mm-hmm. Present in an Unpresent World. And yeah, so the the unpresent world piece. Um, it, you know, when you're when you're when you have to market something or title something, there's always going to be like some sort of compromise. And <laughs> I had a lot of other titles that I wanted to name this book, um, and we we finally settled on this and. One of the things around the unpresent world piece was um, different ways to interpret it. But on on one level, like the world, the world isn't unpresent, right? The world is just doing what it's doing. Mm -hmm. It's it's the humans in relationship to it that uh, tend to be a little unpresent. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so that's more what what that's pointing to. And um, yeah, that we we live in a time where. technology is, I mean, that's the first thing that I think comes to mind when we think of like the difficulty of being present in, in our current age is that just this technology is designed in such a way to, to suck us in. And you can be present with technology and you can be present while you're scrolling through your Facebook feed. And I offer tons of meditations that specifically have you like being present in relationship to your phone. But for many of us, it just becomes, um, really easy to get sucked into the vortex of that and caught up this very like subtle energetic leaning into the next moment of like okay I'm waiting in line at the coffee shop and instead of actually being there like we pull out our phones and that's okay I mean I do that too it it could be more fun to scroll through Facebook than to just stand sometimes <laughs> awkwardly in a coffee <laughs> coffee line so I'm not saying that's bad it's just we I think we have to notice some of the ways that we're conditioning ourselves to uh, quickly move away from that that discomfort, maybe the discomfort of just being mm-hmm. and uh, where and it, it, that pattern of conditioning gets stronger and stronger and stronger that almost any time that maybe there's an opportunity for stillness or tuning in or uh, uh, checking in with ourselves, we quickly cover it up. And then we quickly jump to something else, some other form of stimulation. Mm-hmm. And it it keeps us in this, um, well, one, like a low-grade anxiety that's just constantly like grasping for something or waiting for something to go wrong um, and, and further away from actually being able to relax into this moment as it is, which is one of the ways I think of uh, fulfillment, right? Fulfillment is not something that we we chase. It's more something we learn to relax into. That we soften Ooh, into, yeah. we, we settle into, uh, and that's more referring to like settling into this moment as it is right now, rather than constantly needing to manufacture it to meet our liking. So, so this unpresent world piece is just pointing to all of these other distractions in the fast-paced world that we're living in right now that makes it increasingly easy for us to uh, not attune to ourselves and to justify uh, why not to do that. I got to check my emails or um, uh, I got to see if I have any texts or I got to see if somebody needs something from me. And and a lot of these are real things. This is where the ecosystem comes in a a pretty significant way where 
um, there is a reality for many people now at work that they need to be they need to be checking their phones. Like, what if somebody mm-hmm. does need something from them, or what if an email does come through that they need to respond to? The the collective understanding now is like there's a there's a expectation of speedy reply. So it's um it's it's tough, and what I'm I'm never saying or suggesting that we need to just get rid of this world. Mm-hmm. Right? Every generation is going to go through some new iteration and evolution and, uh, you know, and, and potential thing that could ruin society, right? And <laughs> what was it, the 60s or when, whenever Elvis was coming on the scene, everyone's like, oh man, Elvis, you know, shaking his hips is ruining, <laughs> ruining our souls. And now it's technology and the smartphones will be the least of our problems when we have contact lenses that can search for Google. So right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not in the camp of just resisting all of this. It's more just like, let's make sure we're bringing some awareness to our relationship to it all. And is our interaction with our life and our external world and the people around us in alignment with, with the kind of life we want to live? Is it leading to fulfillment? Is it taking us further away from fulfillment? Um, and the big argument that I, that I make is that if we don't actually give ourselves the, the space to be present and attuned to ourselves, it just gets easier and easier to distract ourselves from ourselves, caught up in the story of where we're trying to get and actually just completely miss our lives uh, mm. along the way. And everyone's going to have their own story of how they miss their lives. For some people, it's like quite literally their heads are down and 30 years go by and they're just like, whoa, what was I doing for the last 30 years? And I was just like, not paying attention at all. So it might just be a basic attention thing. Others, it might be really significant trauma that uh, causes their nervous system to basically live in in a fear response. And it feels too much to move toward uh, the processing and the integration of that trauma that can kind of just live a life in fear. And that might be another way that we can miss our lives. For me, I find it really easy to get um, excited about future things. Mm-hmm. Um, me too. And yeah. yeah, and and so this book was one example of that. Got the book deal two years ago, and um, and it was just there was a lot of excitement about writing it, and then and then it quickly became a lot of excitement about finishing the damn thing. <laughs> and there were just all these moments throughout that process where it, it just got so easy for my mind to go, you know, once this is done, like then, then things will be good. Like then I can relax. I just got to push a little bit more. It's just one more week or just two more weeks. And that always turned into something else. But it was so clear. Like if it was so compelling to my brain in those moments that just once, once this is done, then, then things will, will settle. Then we can relax. Then we can appreciate Then we can like deepen the meditation practice again. But it's the biggest, um, <laughs> oh, I don't know what it is, the plot twist or whatever. It's the biggest trick that the mind can play on us because what all that is, it's just the, it's just the neuroses that you're working with, the neuroses of, of the mind that's saying like, well, once that happens, then I'll get there. And, and so we have a clarity of, oh, once, I, once this external thing is done, then I can settle. But once you get to that place in the future and it becomes your present, you still have those neuroses at play and all you do is just you have something new that you're kind of working mm-hmm. toward. And now, and now it's the book launch, right? Now I finished the book and there was like, oh, it's done. 
It's like, okay, now the book comes out in four months. Time to promote, time to go on podcasts. And then it's like, well, once December 31st comes up and then, then I can start real. And it's, it's just not, it's not going to happen. I'm going to get to December 31st, something, it will feel nice. And then there'll be something else. And then it'll be working on my own podcast and it'll be the next book. And so these, and it's, it's not to say like not to be excited about goals that we're having visions that we're creating and, and working toward a life that we're building. Like we, we, it's really important and a lot of joy can come from having a future orientation, yep, yep. but we just have to, I think it's important. And at least for me, when it comes to this idea of missing my life, it's really important for me to, to check uh, how often I'm putting the marbles of my well-being in the basket of just something in the future. And every time I can catch myself doing that, and just invite myself in to actually just relax into this moment. And I'll even say to myself, like as a mantra, it's like your life's happening right now. It's, it's right mm-hmm. here. Even, even this struggle, even the pain of writing right now, even the confusion, like this is your life. Be here for it. And, uh, and that sounds like something we wouldn't want to do. Like who wants to be in the pain of something? But in my experience, when we, we give ourselves the opportunity to, to soften into our life in this moment, it, it welcomes in a new kind of wholeness, a different kind of fulfillment that can only come from wholeness. We feel more parts of our humanness. We're making space for more parts of our humanness. We're not resisting the moment as much. We're not constantly waiting to get to some future moment. We're just, we're here in the totality of it. And we're, and the more we deliberately choose to be here in the totality of it, the more we build the inner resources to hold more of the totality of it. And that's the argument I make for, for presence as a form of well-being where we're in the age of like, just be present. Everyone wants to be, you know, just be present, just be present. (laughs) But, but it makes sense right? When things are good and it stops making sense as a, a nice tagline or your one way uh, highway to happiness when things get difficult. And, and those nuances don't get addressed when we gleefully place it on the walls next to the live, love, laugh signs. Right. There's, and it's just like, oh, be present, be present just for the sake of being present. But like, what is the kind of happiness that that's pointing to? Because it's not pointing to all moments are going to be good. Mm-hmm. It's not pointing to that you should just be positive all the time. It's really pointing to that when you can actually cultivate a mind and, and a quality of being that can be with the moment in its fullness, where you've, you've peeled back the layers of guarding that prevent you from connecting and making contact with your life, and you've built the inner resources to hold the highs and lows, the twists and the turns, the, the thoughts and the emotions, now you, you're creating a, a deep quality of well-being that, that only comes when you experience your full wholeness as a human being. And that's what I'm most interested in these days. I'm, I'm most interested in moving toward wholeness. And mm-hmm. it is just the hardest work in the world because I have so many reasons why I don't want to experience certain things or feel certain things or connect with certain people. And having boundaries is important. And uh, you know, I don't just go into everything because it's an experience <laughs> of my life and like, oh, let me just see if I could be with this awful person. Like sometimes it's like, no, not right now. But there is a constant uh, and an intentional leaning into more of my moments to, to just soften into this, settle into this as it is right now. And there's a, a really profound kind of fulfillment that I've found comes from that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the argument of the book. <laughs> oh, dude, I love that, man. I literally got the chills maybe about five or six times when you were going oh, through that cool. entire thing because I, I can relate, man. I can relate to that same kind of thing where, where, and I'm sure a lot of people can too, where it's like, once this next thing happens, like then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. And then it's like the trap because you get that goal and you're like, yeah, like now what? And yeah. it's, I, it's so funny because I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Like you said, it's like you have to be able to cultivate fulfillment in the moment and, and, you know, and happiness in the moment because you're just going to miss your life by and you're always going to be in that brain trap of just always looking towards the next thing. And like you said, you can just miss your entire life and you look back and you're like, what the hell happened? I think yes. it's just so important. And so and I'm sure, and I know you go in detail about this in the book. So I'm sure there's a bunch of people like right now listening who are like, oh my gosh, I get this. Like I need to implement this in my life. So like from a high level, cause I don't want you to give everything away in the book, but from a high level, like how can people like actually be more present and, and maybe not just in, in general, but like you said, when it gets hard, when it gets tough. And I know you said like, you have to ease into the situation, relax into the pain. But like, what does training that skill set essentially look like? Because like you said, it's hard, man. And I've done the same thing. I know it's hard. So for you, like, what does that actual process look like of developing that skill set? Right, right. Yeah, those are the important questions. Um, And, you know, I'm going to give the probably predictable response. But (laughs) I, I haven't found something yet. I'm open to finding something else, but I haven't found something yet that's better to do this than meditation. Mm-hmm. And let me preface this by saying, uh, I don't really have any stake in meditation. I've, I've done enough trainings at this point, right? It'd be one thing if like I did, I did all my mindfulness trainings, I went and became a monk, and then I built a business around being a mindfulness meditation teacher, which is like kind of true. But I've also done a lot of other trainings related to well-being and positive psychology, and I teach positive psychology at UPenn. There's a lot of things I could be teaching in the world, and um, and let's just say like making a living at it. All of this to say, like I'm I'm very open to something else coming along that is a better way to cultivate this quality of presence that I'm talking about that's not meditation. Just haven't found it yet. And Mm -hmm. I think the reason is, uh, is that meditation is not meditation. (laughs) We all have an idea of like what meditation means, like sitting down, cross-legged, focus on the breath. And yeah, like that's some elements of it for sure. But it's much more of a, a systematic way to get closer to your moment-to-moment experience and actually train your mind to find a groundedness and a peace and an ease within that experience uh, as that experience is changing. So when you, when you sit down for five minutes and you, you can sit in a chair, you can just sitting in your car and you close your eyes if you want. And let's say you decide to focus on your breath as like a very basic meditation. Well, you're quickly going to encounter all the reasons why that's difficult. (laughs) And it's not going to be like some massive pain comes up and it's like, oh my God, meditation. No, it's going to be the little itch on your nose that your mind freaks out about. It's like, oh God, I hate this. This This is so annoying. Scratch the itch. Meditation's stupid. And we go back to focusing on the breath. And then some sounds, like we hear the cat in the other room where the kid's screaming. It's like, oh God damn it. I can't deal with all this shit, right? (laughs) all right, come on, focus back on the breath, focusing on the breath. And then like a little like uh, discomfort in the lower back comes up. We get pissed off about that. Focus back on the breath. And (laughs) just all of these things that make 
being in the present moment difficult, that's what we're working with. It's not about the breath. It's not about the meditation. It's not about anything that you're focusing on. It's, it's all the things that pull our focus away. Mm-hmm. And so how do we, that the meditation is a systematic practice that has been refined over millennia that just trains us to, to in, in really very simple, simple ways to go, oh, okay, there goes the mind again, going off into its thing, its usual patterns of fighting this, judging this, resisting this, hating this moment, or even on the good side, right, we notice a moment of peace arise or joy, and we go, oh, that's the experience I want in the meditation. Mm-hmm. And so we go like, give me more of that. And then we try to recreate it and we meditate harder. And then the harder we meditate, the faster it goes away. And then we get pissed off. And now we're trying to fight the pissed offness. And it's, <laughs> you can just see how, how uh, nutty the mind can be and how complicated it, it can get. And um, we get to practice watching all of that, letting it all kind of like play out. And then, all right, I'll just bring my attention back to the breath. You might get a few seconds, then the mind goes off into its next temper tantrum. Just notice it, back into the breath. Goes off something else, back to the breath. And there are a lot of other meditation practices other than just focusing on the breath. But the, the beauty of that is you're, you're training a, a deeper equanimity. And mm-hmm. it doesn't take long to see that, that training carry over into your real life. Because the more that you can practice noticing all the thoughts that pull you away, right? all the thoughts that say, I'm hungry, I want to do that instead, or this is boring, I want to go for a run. It's just a thought, back to the breath. An emotion comes up that's uncomfortable, just an emotion, back to the breath. The more you do that, I mean, these are the things that create your life in any given moment throughout the day. There's only so many experiences you can have. Even experiences of external people are all happening internally. Like There's a sight that we could see, a sound that we could see. There's a thought that goes through our mind about them. There's an emotion that we feel in relationship to them. There's, there's some sort of sensory experience. So it's all happening in this fathom-long body. And that's what you get to, to experience and meet and practice being with in the meditation practice. So when you do that, and then you have a difficult conversation with your partner, and there's this tendency to want to turn away or be like, I don't want to talk to you right now. You can actually feel the intensity of that in your body. Mm -hmm. And now that you've had training to notice what it feels like to feel intensity and not turn away from it, instead of reacting to that blindly, you might actually be able to stay present with your partner, which might be the thing that's actually necessary to come to some sort of resolution. Or to say, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling really angry at you right now, but I also am committed to, to seeing your side of this. Right? Mm-hmm. That takes like a little micro moment of being able to reflect, to step out of your own experience and reactivity to that experience and then come back in. So the meditation practice uh, is still one of the best ways to do that. And for those that maybe have a meditation practice and haven't noticed some of the benefits of it yet, because uh, that's another thing. Some people are like, yeah, you know, I'm meditating 10 minutes a day for the last three years and still still struggling. Sure. Um, that, there's, there's a lot of reasons that could be. Um, but I would assess like kind of the meditations that you're you're doing. And we're in an age of what I like to call spa-like meditations, which you get like a nice guided voice and you get the, the background music comes on and it's a waterfall. And then it's like, hey, man, just sit down, focus on the breath, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. And it's very relaxing. And 
like the first couple meditations are probably more meditations. And then as time goes on, we, we just get used to using the instructor's voice almost as a lullaby. Mm-hmm. And in that way, you're not actually training yourself to be with kind of the complexity. It, it's almost like a, a dissociating from it mm-hmm. or uh, uh, distracting yourself from it. Yeah. Or as many people try to do, like transcend it altogether. And, yes. and if that's what your meditation practice looks like, you're not going to get the merit and the benefits that I'm, I'm t- talking about because you're not actually doing the, the work of training your mind to uh, shift its relationship to your experience. So for those that may fall in that category, what I would then start to suggest is transitioning to less guidance in your meditation um, and also not turning away from the discomfort that might come up in your meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a quick way to do that, if you want to, like a very practical, well, how do I, how do I make sure I don't do that? It's just commit to total stillness. And when I, when I say total stillness, I mean like not moving a finger, not moving a tongue, not even swallowing. Uh, I said not moving a tongue, like you have multiple tongues. <laughs> not moving the tongue, not swallowing. And I call this statue meditation. Uh, the the beauty of it, and it's not for everyone. So if you have, um, if you're dealing with a lot of trauma uh, mm-hmm. or just a lot of energy in the body, sometimes sitting that still can feel like absolute torture and could do more harm than good. So, you know, use your own judgment. But the beauty of it is when you commit to stillness, it just creates a, a, an extra parameter that all these little reactivities that we would typically have of like shifting our body if it's a little uncomfortable, scratching an itch or getting up early. Um, we're forced to be with those moments mm-hmm. and we're forced to like meet them and then kind of relax into them. You, you could grit your teeth through it, but you're, you're going to exhaust yourself. Eventually, if you do statue meditation long enough, uh, one or one of two things will happen. The discomfort will pass or you will relax into the discomfort. Mm-hmm. And uh, both of those are important moments. When it, the discomfort passes, you get to see the truth of impermanence of every experience when you relax into to discomfort, you get to see that you can shift your relationship to experience and then that shifts the experience itself. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's another thing that I would suggest to people trying, uh, trying statue meditation. But I break down presence into four pillars, um, focus, allowing, curiosity, and embodiment. Focus is more referring to our ability to stabilize our attention on the present moment. Uh, allowing refers to uh, not grasping or not pushing away, just like being willing to meet the truth of this moment as it is. Mm-hmm. Curiosity is this gentle wondering of like, oh, what's this moment like right now? And, and to me, curiosity is the opposite of fear. Fear pulls us mm-hmm. away. Curiosity pulls us closer. Fear pre- presupposes danger. Curiosity presupposes safety. Um, fear causes us to, uh, uh, get small curiosity causes us to explore and expand. So curiosity is a beautiful way to, to pull our attention closer to our life. Um, and then embodiment, right? We can't experience our life without our bodies. And there's a huge emphasis in what I would call pseudo spiritual communities that it's just like constantly trying to transcend the body. And, um, you know, more power to you if, if that's working for you, uh, go for it. And, and I mean that uh, without too many snags in me, but <laughs> in my experience, the, the people that make that their practice uh, just end up disconnecting from themselves. It's like a glorified form of dissociation. And I've worked with many students that have come in and uh, have claimed to be like uh, spiritual teachers or do like transcendent type practices. And I'm not necessarily talking about transcendental meditation, but just practices where it's like you try to connect to uh, this is 
tough because it's nuanced, but often like connect to a higher self or connect to the part of you above your body or have an outer body experience. Yep. And those experiences are, can be useful. But if, if that's, if that's the way that we're exploring cultivating fulfillment, it's going to be very hard to find fulfillment in the conversation with a partner who's being a pain for us right now or while we're in traffic. Uh, and if we have to like step out of our bodies or transcend to find some, then I, I mean that do that work when you're an angel, when you don't have a body anymore, <laughs> right? But, but we're humans and we're going to be living, we, we're living this life with a body and it has pain. It has joy. It has emotions. It generates thoughts. It generates sights. And, and so embodiment as a pillar of presence is more pointing to like, our experience of the moment is always happening through our body. And let's just remember that uh, as, we're, as we're connecting to the present moment. So mm-hmm. focus, allowing, curiosity, embodiment creates the clever little acronym FACE. Oh, and uh, nice. people can come back to that uh, in, it, just in their day-to-day, like even outside their meditation practice. Am, am I focused? Am I allowing this moment? Am I bringing curiosity to it? And am I embodied? Am I in my mm-hmm. body? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Dude, I love that answer. And and I know you said like, yeah, it's going to be the expected answer, but I, I would argue and say that wasn't the expected answer because meditation, like you said, has this kind of aura nowadays of being the stress reliever, this relaxer, and to be this, like you said, out of body experience for people. And I know for, for damn well, when I first got into meditation, that was my perspective too. It was like, I'm stressed. I need to meditate all this stuff. And then I found out that I was just getting more stressed because even though I was relaxing in the meditation, I wasn't applying it to my everyday life. And I didn't really understand that I was actually supposed to be training being present with the stress as opposed to let like pushing the stress away or trying to make it go away. Like you said, it's either going to stay there or it's going to go away and you just got to be at peace with whatever happens. And I think that was just absolutely beautiful the way you said that. And I love that last point about embodiment, because for me in my personal experience, like I think some of my most powerful meditation experiences have been when I've been in tune with my body. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm literally just being present of it and being aware. Cause like you said, it just div- engrosses you, I guess I want to say in the full experience because you're being, yes. you're here and, and yeah, if you try to like rip yourself away from that, I love the way you say that you're, you're not going to be able to handle the tough situation. Cause in those situations, like if you go out of body, like it's, we probably can and too it's like probably super just you're pushing the situation away which can lead to a whole bunch of other stuff but but yeah man dude i am excited to learn more about each of these different pillars when i read your book man and i'm sure everyone listening to is the same way and unfortunately man like i could talk with you probably for hours and hours on end but we're coming to the tail end of the podcast so before i ask my last question uh Again, where, where, can, where can our listeners find your book? What's the title of your book? And you also said that there's some uh, free gifts that people can sign up to for if they're interested in digging more into your world. So yeah, man, yes. uh, talk, talk a little bit about that. Totally. Yeah, the, um, the book is titled Stop Missing Your Life, How to Be Deeply Present in an Unpresent World. It should be available in most places where books are sold, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound, but stopmissingyourlife.com. Uh, you can find it, all the details there. Um, and if you want free resources like guided meditations, book recommendations, app recommendations, uh, and really like anything to get you started on this path, uh, if you text your, I have an e- uh, a number of people text their email address to, um, they'll get an automated email with all of these files and links and resources. So um, that, e- that number is 631 
405-4631. Again, you text your email address as if you were like saying, hey, friend, you put your email address there. The number is 631-405-4631. And uh, you'll get an automated email to your inbox. And um, yeah, and that will that will give you everything you really need to get going with this and would love anyone's support of the book. I put a lot of time into it. Um, it's my best work yet. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm excited to read it. I'm already having it on my list and ready to go. So once it comes out, I'll be diving into it. And and yeah, I mean, I was looking at the table of contents too. And dude, so much powerful tools in there. Like I'm interested to learn like uh, the two essential things that you need to let go. I think that's yeah. one that I'll be very vulnerable here. One I definitely need to utilize in my life. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, like learn more about the four pillars and how to cultivate that. Like you said, uh, I I'm excited. I'm sure our listeners are too. And I can also vouch too and say that I've listened to uh, Corey's meditations personally. So they are great. They're awesome. They have totally helped me in my life to, to build that skill of, of being able to approach things with equanimity and, and be at peace and presence. So I, I can vouch for it certainly if you go and opt towards those free gifts. Um, totally recommend it. All right, Corey. So for my last question here, and I know you kind of touched on this in the beginning, but, but it's always good to, to, uh, come back to these ideas, but what does fulfillment mean to you and what fulfills you in life? Yeah. Great question. Uh, fulfillment to me is, is wholeness. I've made this conscious decision to explore the fullness of, of who I am and what would it mean to honor and integrate more, the many different dimensions, the multitudes as Walt Whitman talked about within me and make space for more of those parts of me in an integrated way um, and to experience more of this life. And so um, to me, the deeper experience of wholeness, the deeper the experience of wholeness I can feel, the deeper the fulfillment is. And anything that moves me along in that journey is, uh, is a step in the right direction. Oh, it's beautiful, man. I love it. Corey, you're awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on, man. Thanks, Joe. Real pleasure. Of course, of course. And guys, I cannot recommend you guys dig into this guy's world. Check out his book. Read it. It's going to be awesome. And really, like you said, just just work on that skill of cultivating presence and equanimity and all those things. And and really, again, like he said, to kind of bring back the analogy, sometimes just pick your head up and just realize that we're living in the now and we're not always trying to look for the next best thing for fulfillment. We can find fulfillment now. So I'm sure if you read his book, it'll help you get there. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see you again next Wednesday and take care. Thank you so much for listening.